understanding who you are, upon what your word says, what it is, God, that you want to teach us tonight. I pray, God, that you would help me to rightfully divide your word and help us, God, to have ears to hear. And uh, I pray that it changes our lives and it helps us walk the rest of this week out as Christians, as what it is that you've called us to be, as image bearers of you. We thank you so much for who you are and for all that you've done in our lives. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My name is Michael Husky. For anybody who don't remember me, since it's been a while since I've been here, we've been out for a couple of months. Um, and we're going to be looking at 1 Peter tonight. We're going to be in chapter 3. And we're going to be finishing up chapter 3. we got two verses left. Two verses. We're going to start in 21 and we're going to hit 22. And in the meantime, we're going to be talking a little bit about what we've been covering over this chapter because it really ties into what the context is because this can get confusing when you start looking, especially at 21, which is where we're going to start. So 21, 22 says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Well, that's easy enough, right? That's easy enough. So you can see here that we've got a little bit of work to do to, to understand this. And um, we've got to build a little bit of context here. And in, in 21 here, it says corresponding to that. So we have to say, well, corresponding to what? What is that? Well, this is really dealing with what was said in verse 20. And we're going to get to that. But there's also a main idea of what this entire chapter is about. So there's a broad context that we need to look at. And then there's also an immediate context that we're going to be looking at here. So what's the broad context of chapter 3? What's chapter 3 been all about so far? What have we covered? Well, we've really covered six different things. The first thing that we covered was that we need to be a godly example to the world of what it is to be submissive to authority. And that's something that we all just love to do, right? To be submissive to authority. And then the second thing we covered is that we need to grow in our sanctification, and that is the evidence of being a Christian. And then the third thing we covered was that we have assurance of salvation because that we're growing in our sanctification. And the fourth thing that we looked at was that we should be prepared to face and endure suffering. That's another thing that's fun for us all to, to walk through. There's been some really challenging things in this chapter so far. And then five and six, the fifth and sixth thing that we really looked at was dealing with the work of Christ. And we try to deal with this every week. We dealt with the work of Christ on our behalf as being a primary example for us to follow, and also of being the only means of salvation. We know that we can only be saved through Jesus Christ. So these are the six things that we've really covered in chapter 3. So it's been a lot. There's been a lot of stuff in here. Uh, it's been really full of doctrine and full of theology, and th these are a couple of things that are near and dear to my heart. I love these things. But we need to do just a quick recap of these six things just real fast before we jump in because we're trying to build that broader context of what it's talking about when it says that we're saved by being baptized right because um, 
we have to build a whole lot of context up to what this is dealing with so we can understand it, right? So number one, back to these six things, we should be a godly example to the world of being submissive to authority. And if you guys have your Bibles, and I hope you do, in chapter 3, look at verse 1 and look at verse 7. Verse 1 says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. And then verse 7, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. And then the second thing we covered is that we should grow in sanctification as the evidence of being a Christian. And look in verse 8 in your Bible. So we're going to look at 8 through 11 just to remind ourselves of the context. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. So these were dealing with sanctification. The third thing that we looked at was assurance of salvation because of the evidence of us growing in our sanctification, right? And we find this in verse 15 and 16. It says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. And we're also going to be dealing this, with this in our text tonight, with assurance of salvation. This is a really, really important one. The fourth thing that we looked at in chapter 3 is that we need to be prepared to face and endure suffering. Look at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness... You are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. And then look down at verse 17. It says, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. So we've been covering all of these things, building up this context of, of what it is that's, that's said. We also have been dealing with 5 and 6. The work of Jesus Christ, we've been dealing with this every single time that we meet. It's the main point, right, is the gospel. That's the most important thing that we ever hear, the most important thing that we learn. And that is that Jesus Christ, he's our primary example all through this for us to follow. And he's also the only means that we can be saved. Verse 18 is our primary verse for that. It says, for Christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So these are the six things that verse 21 is referring to when it uses the words corresponding to that, right? Corresponding to these six things. Baptism now saves you. 
And then it says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. So we can see here that we're not talking about being dunked into a pool of water or being sprinkled when you're a baby. This is something different. This isn't water baptism. This is another kind of baptism. So something else that we haven't talked about yet that we need to talk about in order to find the context that we're talking about here is what it says in verse 20. So look at verse 20. The, the second half of verse 20 says, When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now this is speaking of God's refuge. This is speaking of God's refuge to those who belong to him. And this ties into assurance of salvation, that we belong to God. Because you see, Noah and Noah's family were brought safely through the water. So the ark was their safety, you see. The ark was their safety. Being inside of the ark, they were protected and they were brought safely through the water, as this is talking about. So we can see two things really here that helps us to understand verse 21. And the first thing is that being inside of something kept them safe. Okay? Being inside of something kept them safe. The other thing that we can see here is that those who were not inside of the ark, they were immersed into something, but it was, it was the wrong thing. Right? They were immersed into the wrong thing. And we all know what happened to the people that weren't inside of the ark. So Peter makes it really clear here that he's not talking about water, water baptism whenever he says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. We know that water baptism doesn't save you. We know that. We understand that. So we have to understand that this is talking about a different kind of baptism. He's talking about being immersed into Jesus Christ being immersed into Jesus Christ. Scripture calls this being in Christ, being in Christ. So just as Noah and his family were kept safe in the ark, so we are kept safe when we are immersed into Jesus Christ. The world is all immersed into the wrong things, and it's going to drown just like all the people in the flood. But Christians are immersed into the right thing, and that's Jesus Christ. The world is drowning in its sins and iniquity, and it's going to face the wrath of Almighty God one day. But Christians are baptized into Jesus Christ, their ark of safety, their refuge in the storm, and we have no reason to fear. It deals with this in Romans 6, 3-7. This will help clarify some, some things, and this is in your handout that I handed out, so you can follow along in any of these verses that I read to you tonight. So Romans 6, 3 through 7 says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died 
is freed from sin. So it speaks of Christians here, not the world. Christians being in Jesus Christ, being in him. It speaks about this 180 times in just in the New Testament alone. It mentions being in Jesus again and again and again. This is really a picture of complete, total, and irreversible change. Paul told us here in Romans chapter 6 that to be baptized into Christ Jesus is being baptized into his death. So this is a symbol of us dying. When we, when we become a Christian, we die. There's, there's a funeral for us. We're buried like Jesus was buried. We're buried with him. We're buried in him, right? So that, what does it say? It says, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So to be baptized into Jesus, to be baptized into Christ, to be in him, means that everything in our life has changed. Everything has been changed that's in our lives. It's to be born again, to be born new, leaving this old dead corpse in the ground that you once were, and living a new life in Jesus Christ for all of eternity. So being in Jesus Christ is really a picture of being submerged into him, like being submerged into the ocean, never to return, but finding new life, new purpose, new hope, an altogether new environment. It's really a much different picture than what a lot of people think, but we are submerged into Jesus Christ. This is a different picture than a lot of people believe about Jesus today. It's common to think of Jesus as just being an accessory that's, that you add to your lives. But Jesus Christ isn't an accessory. He's not a necklace that we wear around our neck in the shape of a cross. Jesus isn't a Christian t-shirt that we wear in front of our friends. He's not a bumper sticker on our cars that shows the world how righteous that we are. He's also not even a tattoo that you mark your body with on the outside that may be something different than what's on the inside, right? But when you're a Christian, you've died. When you're a Christian, you've been buried. You've been raised from the dead and everything, everything is different. And now, you're really safe from the storm. You're safe from the storm, just as Noah was safe in the ark. Let's look at Psalm 46. This should ring in your ear. Just think of Noah being in the ark. He says, God is our refuge. Our refuge. He's our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea... Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, Selah, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations, will, the, the, the nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. The earth of the, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. There's that stronghold again. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease 
to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. And here it is again. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. He's our stronghold. Jesus Christ is our stronghold. Jesus Christ is our ark. He's our refuge. We have no reason to fear. Romans 8, 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who can be against us if God is for us? I'm going to read 21 again, and I hope that this makes a little bit more sense now that we've brought a little bit of context into it. So 21 says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Corresponding to these things that we just talked about, right? Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. For a good conscience. Now the conscience is an amazing gift of God. How many people here has ever had a guilty conscience? Yeah, I hope everybody has. What is a conscience? What is a conscience? That's something that a lot of times we, don't, we never really have defined well for us. And that's why that I printed this article off. I want to read this little short article. It's from Ligonier. And I really think that this helps us tremendously with um, understanding what it's talking about when it's talking about our conscience here. William Ames wrote that the conscience belongs to the practical judgment by which a man can know right from wrong, to the end that it may be a rule within him to direct his will. The conscience bears witness to all men and holds them accountable before God. No man can escape God's governor within the soul. While men may silence it, they may profane it and manipulate it, it will one day testify against them in God's court. In our explanation of the function of the conscience, we do not mean to oversimplify its activity. While the conscience takes certain information and forms judgments, the process can occur undetected by the individual affecting his judgments and emotions. A person may simply feel guilty but not really understand why. So it is with the unredeemed who know that they are guilty. Their conscience testifies to the truth by, by way of the law written on their hearts but they cannot fully express why. Their minds are fuzzy and confused. Their desires war against what they know to be true. They allow their sin to gain victory over their conscience until they are hushed, silenced, and finally seared altogether. The conscience is too vulnerable to the influence of sin to bring a man to right sense of his own sinfulness. James Buchanan wrote, The conscience becomes weaker in proportion as sin grows stronger in the soul till the sinner may arrive at a point of degeneracy at which he is wholly given over to the reprobate mind. And so far from being condemned by his conscience, he may dare to justify his wickedness by calling good evil and evil good instead of being ashamed of his guilt he may even glorify or glory in his shame. The conscience needs to be reinforced, informed, and enlightened by the Spirit of the Word. But if the Word of God is ignored and sin allowed to continue and grow, 
the conscience will either become hopelessly misinformed by another rule or, or it will be silenced by wicked desires and its declarations of guilt will become a meaningless echo in a hardened soul. Such is the destiny of all those who rebel against God. If he does not change their hearts, awaken their consciences, and give them a desire to please him, they will stagnate, harden, and eventually die in their sins. So in short, here we can see that the conscience is the law of God that's been written on our hearts by God himself. This is one of the things really that separates us from animals, isn't it? Human beings are image bearers of God. We are image bearers of God. This is referred to as the imago Dei. That's the Latin for, uh, term for this. So when we put all of, this, all of these things together, we can see here that we've been baptized into Christ, into, in, into Jesus Christ, and our lives reflect this because we've died to ourselves and we've been born into Christ. And because of this, because of these things that we are born again, then our conscience is clear. Our conscience is clear. Now, this doesn't mean that we aren't convicted when we sin. Um, this is a, a good question. What's the difference between conviction and a conscience? Because they're different. They're two different things. The world has a conscience, right? Because we just read that it's the law of God that's written on everybody's hearts. But only a Christian can be convicted. Only a Christian can be convicted. The world doesn't know God. The, the world doesn't have the Holy Spirit, but we do. The Holy Spirit indwells us. So that's another wonderful thing about being a Christian is the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. We're never alone. We're never alone in this world. We're always with God. In John 14, 16 through 17, it says, I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Isn't this an amazing thing? This is all made possible because of what we see here in the last part of verse 21 where it says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We never should underestimate the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-19 deals with this. and This is really important. Let's read this together. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say 
that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. And this is why that we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. This is why that that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day. It's so important for us to understand that Jesus Christ not only died for us, but he was also buried and raised from the grave for us, just as we one day will be raised with him. And just as whenever we become, become Christians, become Christians just as we read earlier, we are already raised in him. And he is our ark, he is our safety. We're baptized into him. Now there's an old song, there's an old hymn that some of you guys may not may not remember, but I'm sure some of the people my age probably do. And it says, "Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that he holds the future. And life is worth the living." just because he lives because Jesus lives we know of his power over all things even death itself because Jesus lives Paul says oh death where is your sting because Jesus lives it really shows us that our faith is validated because Jesus lives we know that he is truly God because Jesus lives We know that he was and that he is sinless, perfect, and righteous. And as this old song says, life is worth a living just because he lives. Verse 22, let's look at that real quick. We're almost done. Verse 22 says, this is talking about Jesus who is at the right hand of God having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. This is really encouraging, isn't it? Because Jesus isn't in the grave. He's not in the grave. He's at the right hand of God the Father right now. And this is something that's amazing because Jesus, he could have just told us that he has all authority over heaven and earth, but he did more than that. He actually showed us by being raised from the dead, right? He actually showed us that he has authority over heaven and earth. This is an amazing thing, and it's an amazing God that we serve. This really shows us the love that Jesus Christ has for each and every one of us. He really wanted to make his love very well known, very plain for us, so that we would have no excuse. He really is the one true God. And since he is the one true God, then we should bow and knee to him today. If you don't know him, then you should run to him. 
because it's never too late. It's never too late to know Him. And if you do know Him, then let's worship Him, right? Let's worship Him every single day and every action and every decision and every thought and every word in the way that we act to one another, the way that we react with one another. In all things, let's worship Him. Let's glorify Him for who He is and for what it is that He's done for us, right? Let's pray.